Come on, YouTube. You can do it. Okay. Uh, all right. I think we're live. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for, for agreeing to come on. Half my time is going to Mars 2020 Perseverance Operation. And, but, you know, now the Mars is behind the sun, so we have uh, a bit of rest time, you know, uh, we can, because we cannot talk to the rover right now. The other half is spent for a bunch of research projects. Yeah. And one of them is, I believe, today's main topic, which is yes. the robot to get into the crevasse of Enceladus, this small, tiny Saturnian moon, to f potentially find life there. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But I, you know, I mean, you're working with with perseverance. I definitely uh, have to at least talk a little bit. So, of course. So, so of what, course. So, what role do you have with the perseverance rover? I have and had multiple roles. I am a autonomy researcher. So uh, I wrote the flight software uh, as a part of the team to, for the autonomous driving because yeah. we upgraded the self-driving capability uh, compared to Curiosity. That was my biggest job, I guess. And also I was involved in the landing site selection. And now I am in charge of the uh, mobility downlink. So basically, when rover drives, you know, checking the status, checking the you know the data uh, to make sure that the rover is healthy, uh, if it is okay to keep driving. One of the big, uh, one of the big things that one of the big upgrades from Curiosity with Perseverance was was that it fine-tuned its own landing. Right when it was coming in through the atmosphere, it was looking at the ground and it was finding the safest spot to be able to, to touch down. So did you work on that as well? I didn't, no, but it's okay. sort right. of a related. So it's called uh, the terrain rate of navigation, meaning that, you know, the curiosity was basically a golf, you know, you, you hit a golf ball and yeah. it lands blindly, right? Uh, but now, you know, this uh, tiny golf ball uh, has its own camera looking down and recognize where it's going to and where if it's going to a bad place it you know it it, it applies a divert maneuver to land on a safe place and to enable that it needed a new um onboard computer what we call vce but it's a fpga much faster mm -hmm. processor for uh, uh the images now it's landed and we have this good vision processor that we don't use. Now we use that for driving as well. Right. Okay. And and so what impact has this level of autonomy provided in in operating the rover? Has it has it made a big change? Do you feel it? It does. It does. For example, uh, the the record distance per so the Martian day. Uh, of autonomous driving was, I forgot the number, but about 100 meters. Uh, and we are still like so 225. Our record is, I think, uh, uh, 170 meters or something. <laughs> so almost right? uh, Yeah. And uh, actually, we can do more. Uh, uh, so it could be much more efficient. We can go faster and farther. So it's a great change. And actually, you know, without this upgrade, uh, uh, we might not be we might not have been able to you know, achieve the mission goals. It's, it's a really challenging mission. It's interesting as well, like with 
ingenuity flying around. And I mean, this is all still just experiments, but you can imagine this future where every future rover to Mars is equipped with a helicopter. The helicopter flies forward, scouts all the terrain out to the maximum driving distance of the rover, and then returns back to the rover. And then the next day, the rover knows every tiny rock in the way and is able to make huge ground to get sure. to really interesting landmarks. Actually, we are use we do use helicopter in that way, you know, uh, 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 a little bit. For example, uh, the, the place where the rover is sleeping right now is called Sita. And that's, you know, that, that, that's one of the oldest um, uh, 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 and deepest unit in the Jezero crater where the rover is. We know that it's very sandy. It's very dangerous. Mm. But we want to get in there because, you know, as I said, the oldest unit, right? The, the scientists are going to be very happy about it. So uh, we flew the helicopter uh, on the place where we thought the easiest place for rover and took the photos from heli first before getting in there. So... You know, initially, Heli was conceived as a tech demo just for 30 days, but now it's going much beyond our expectations. Uh, it's supporting, you know, partially our yeah. rover ops and, and perhaps size a little bit. Yeah, I, I understand it's not your decision to make, but, but do you see like these helicopters flying with every mission from like it feels like just an outrageous success to have this? <laughs> to have oh, this yeah, I agree. Scout. I agree. Again, you know, I'm not in the place of deciding, but yeah, I personally would love to have this kind of a little companion, you know, yeah. Hillies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's terrific. All right, so let's let's shift gears then and talk about the about the Enceladus Vent Explorer and uh, sure. And so, you know, I've brought on people who have won NIAC awards in the past. So, just you know. Um, just to make sure that everyone is, is totally aware of this. This is a speculative project. This is purely an investigation. It's an idea of an idea. So we're definitely not into an actual confirmation from NASA that a mission is going to happen. But my hope is at the end of this interview, you will get an announcement from NASA that it's been <laughs> and we're, we're going to be flying. So that's the, that is the job. that's our job today. Um, so what... So let's talk about like where did this idea come from on on trying to send some way to explore Enceladus. Good question. Where did the idea come from? So there has been I, I think it's more than five years ago. Uh, there has been this growing interest in um, in. You know, I see wars in general among JPO, among NASA. Yep. Um, and uh, of course, ultimately, we want to get to that uh, uh, subsurface ocean where you know we can find extant life. And around that time, you know, most of us were talking about flying through the plume to get the particles mm -hmm. landing on it. Uh, we had a chat with a few folks. Uh, I am originally, uh, you know, as I said, the autonomy researchers, right? So I am, you know, looking around and looking for challenging and interesting problems, right? And I talked to a few people. I think uh, uh, that was 
uh, a meeting with Kevin Hand, who is leading, you yep. know, the IC world. Yeah, you know him. Yep. Uh, so I think he, it was him who said, you know, can you just send the Autolus robots down through the, the vent? And we, we were like, oh, yeah, that sounds crazy, but maybe we can. And, you know, that kind of thing is a perfect topic for Nayak, right? Yeah. It's, it's very challenging, but super revolutionizing everything. Yeah. And and we don't know yet if it is possible or not, but the point of the Nayak is first to understand yeah. if it's ever possible. Well, and it so, comes at a, at a good time, I think. Like DARPA just had has, has had a series of challenges where they're sending autonomous robots into various underground exactly and and urban environments and caves and and the European Space Agency is doing a lot of work in exploring lava tubes and and caves and and so so I think there's a lot of of interest and of course there's the work happening with with NASA and and even the Chinese Space Agency trying to figure out how can we explore some of the the permanently darkened craters on the on the moon so i think this this sort of brings together all of the hardest parts of all of those problems into one special really difficult yeah problem, right and actually I, you mentioned the DARPA sub t subterranean challenges uh jpl team uh, uh, you know they, they just finished the competition i think two or three weeks ago and jpl team did uh, a great job and many of the members uh, are closely working together uh, yeah on this subject, because you know we have a common challenges. We're gonna explore. We are exploring somewhere unknown, and you know, uh, and Sabti was a, a great place to develop a mature the robotic, you know, autonomous technologies in, in this direction. So, yeah, you are absolutely right. Yeah. Um, so then let's talk about about the challenges then, and and what it's going to be. You know, I mean. All of the viewers, listeners at this point, you know, we're all very familiar with this idea that Enceladus, these icy worlds, they've got geysers, that there's possible life underneath the, the ice on these worlds. So what is the what are the unique challenges that you're attempting to overcome in being able to explore these, these sure. environments? I mean, the landscape that you're going to send this this poor robot into. So. Uh Let's start with what this moon in Seattle's look like. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the diameter is about the 500 kilometers, I believe, uh, um, uh, or 300 miles. So something like Texas, I guess. And uh, I, I don't know exactly how big te Texas is, uh, but and the gravity is 0.01 g, one percent of gravity. So it's basically it's not uh, zero gravity, but it's you know gravity is really it's more like an asteroid rather than yeah. our old moon the surface is covered completely by ice the h2o ice the thickness could be 10 kilometers you know 10 miles or so and below that there is most likely there there is uh, uh, this uh, liquid uh, ocean mm -hmm. um uh, and that's our ultimate target and what's special about Enceladus is yeah you know your background is exactly you know uh, what i was going to explain there are four crevasses uh, running through the south polar regions of that moon and through the crack this hypersonic jet is blowing up to the space 
And actually, that uh, uh, water particle is the source of the evening of the Saturn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and um, and so the challenge is there are many. So you land on it, right? And it's likely that this uh, uh, ejected, you know, ice particles are, are are falling. So some of them are falling down back uh, on on Enceladus. And since gravity is so low, uh, it's not like, you know, a, a ski mountain where the snow is nicely compacted. It's more likely super fluffy, you know, a, a, a surface. So how do you drive on it? Uh, the, 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 the conventional rover uh, is unlikely work uh, uh, on this fluffy surface. Once you get there, this hypersonic jet is another thing. Because the force, the upward force that you receive from the jet is likely stronger than this weak gravity. So, no worries. Um, yeah, so you have to find a way to attach yourself to the ice wall so that you don't, you do not, you know, blown up the space and part of the E, e wing. And um, also, Unlike Mars rovers that I am working on, right? On Mars surface, we have these orbiters, which can take 25 centimeter resolution images beforehand. So we can plan everything on Earth, right? But you are basically going into the unknown. No orbital reconnaissance, no knowledge whatsoever. So software-wise, it's more challenging, you know, because uh, you don't have any maps or any images, and you go there and learn about the environment and adapt to the environment. So, all of these are 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 are, are very different from yeah. our previous missions, and that's that's what we are you know working on for. And so, the often one of the one of the early steps in this process is to search for some kind of analog, a place on Earth that is kind of the same. And and obviously, you can't get one percent gravity. Although perhaps you could simulate that in in some way with rubber bands attached to the to your rover, but but is there a place on Earth that would that would feel kind of similar to the surface of Enceladus? Do you think? Yes. So one place that we are looking at on a parallel project. By the way, there are two tasks are going on right now. One is this NIAC. The other is a JPL funded uh, uh, task. Uh, PI is someone else, and I am the only lead. Um, on that task, we are go likely going to Athabasca Glacier in Canada. And on the glacier, there is a vertical hole called Moulin. Moulin. Um, maybe my pronunciation is not good. Um, a vertical hole created by a water flow. And uh, that at least it's a geometric analog to um, the Enceladus vent. And I, you know, I, at least in my in our idea, uh, of course we cannot simulate 0.01 g gravity or, or hypersonic jet. But in fact, uh, this hypersonic upward jet, the force from it can be simulated by the downward force of gravity on Earth. So. Uh, going down, so you could like could just be... do it in backwards, and exactly, you the... exactly. It's interesting. It's it's sort of like when you test the parachutes for the for the rovers, you test them at 
really high altitudes at really high speeds here on Earth. Yeah. And you can match the conditions of what it would be like to arrive on, on Mars. Maybe you can you can sort of create a similar environment. That's that's really clever. I like it. So so I'm imagining, so you send this this rover, and what do you anticipate that it's going to look like at this point? What are you, what are you thinking? Like some kind of spider, some kind of ice skater? <laughs> some sort of, no, that was right. Yeah, something with like ice hooks. What's it going to look like? Oh, you mean you, you, you're thinking about the actual oh, so the, the actual rover, the actual explorer, the robot. So that's what we are uh, um, going to find out on the Nayak project. We are looking at a few different options. Uh, back in phase one, we looked at the, a, a, a robot with limbs where you know this ice screw uh, that is used by mountaineers uh, uh, when climbing on the ice wall. Um, we are looking at another architecture, for example, a snake-like robot, which we called EOS, and they're gonna basically push the, the two walls uh, to stick itself. We are looking at the, at the octopus-like uh, robot. Again, it uses its uh, legs to you know, push the both sides of the walls. Uh, there is um, you know, one uh, 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 biggest remaining uncertainty is the size of the vent as well as the strength of this jet. Because since we know, approximately know the flow rate, if the vent is happened to be very wide, uh, the flow gonna be much weaker. So there could be a case where the gravity is actually stronger than the, the, the pressure of the flow. In such a case, perhaps we can, you can hang a very heavy, you know, uh, um, Kind of pendulum made of tungsten or something uh, uh, down to the ocean, and that could be an easy, easier case. Uh, we also had an, have an idea of an inverted rocket, you know, uh, and <laughs> that could be a fun. So we'll see, you know, what the architecture. But as for this uh, Athabasca um, uh, experiment, uh, we are now building this snake robot, eels robot, uh, to, to be tested. I mean, it, it really sounds like, like, you don't even know what you don't know yet that the first step has got to be how do like if it's very if these if these vents are very narrow then that requires one kind of robot and if these vents are are 50 meters across then that requires a much different robot exactly and somewhere in between will require some other robot as well and so and so you don't even have that that data. So have you have you suggested a way to even map out the the terrain? So yeah, that's a very good question, actually. And in our NIAC, we are doing two things together. One is to know how to know about it. And that involves, you know, scientists listing out all the parameters that we have to identify and how we can observe and identify, you know, uh, uh, those parameters. And uh, basically, you know, it's going to be an orbital mission, orbital precursor mission before, before the, the EVE mission. Uh, so that's number one, to know what, how to know. The second is to identify the options for for various uh, uh, you know uh, possibilities. You know, in one in, in in the most optimistic case where the vent is wide open, we can just drop something or hang something from the top. 
In the intermediate case where the wind is, you know, uh, 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 say a meter wide or so, intermediate with this, where the robot can go in, uh, uh, but you need an anchor. The, the most extreme case, uh, although our scientists uh, speculate that it's unlikely, but you know, say the vent is one centimeter, less than one, one, one inch wide. But in that case, it's unable to go down, but the jet will be stronger, meaning that splashing out more materials outside. So in that case, it's likely that we can get more information without getting in there. What, I guess, you know, there have been proposals to send, I mean, even like the Europa Clipper is going to be doing some observations of the vents that are coming out of, out of Europa, maybe attempt to taste the the geysers to see if there's any hints of of life in them obviously a, a similar mission at, at enceladus would be very exciting to to taste the geysers and and at the same time you could probably have also have a nice lidar on board at the same time that maybe you can do both you can you can do like a really close flyby while you're flying through the geyser also try to map out the the tiger stripes and see what they're in but does can you get enough information from a flyby or is there just something really special about sticking on the vent and, 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 and tasting the, you know, the, the geyser material? Yeah. I like the, your, your analogy of tasting, but that, that's very uh, appropriate. Actually, you know, we, what we want to do is to, you know, taste is basically sensing the trace, you know, chemicals uh, in, in, in water. And that's exactly, you know, one of the things that we should do uh, to eventually, you know, find life. And um, there are, so by flying through the plume, there are things that we can do. You, you can, you know, obviously taste uh, the, the, the ocean water, but the thing is that a bigger particle uh, uh, is, is accelerated to a, a lower speed and less likely to go up to the orbital uh, altitude. So uh, the sample is biased there. You cannot get the, the, the genuine uh, 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 sample of the ocean water up there. On the surface, it's closer, right? Uh, um, uh, but still, it is limited to the, uh, the, the, the particle that is, uh, I think, the lower end in the size that is able to, to make it out there. And also, whether the the, the complex, uh, 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 you know, organic materials, or even a cell, or, or, or even if there's a fish, I don't know if there is, uh, is in one piece, you know, if it is blown up to space or on the surface, that's another question. So ultimately, you know, if you want to get the purest sample of the ocean, the best place to get the sample is in the ocean. I, I imagine I'm sort of envisioning like if you had an entomologist, like a bug, an insect researcher, and the only way that they could learn about insects is what hits their windshield as they're driving down the highway. You know, they'd much prefer to be able to walk around in the forest and actually <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a... up close as opposed to scraping the bugs that hit their windshield. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, you know, so do you, do you envision it as being, its own so like this follow-on mission so after we've got some kind of understanding of what the the terrain is looking like whether you need a 
an ice climber or a snake or something that just clogs up one of these these vents um what does the mission look like like what do you sort of see as sort of all of the parts that will come together to actually do this mission so you know first disclaimer we are still working on the con ops in, in the next study but it's it, it, but i can tell what it you will likely you know look like uh, so you land at least a few hundred meters from the vent because obviously it's hard to land on top of it and you you traverse on this fluffy surface in some way or another the robot is going to be tethered likely um, because for communication and power you go down there, uh, that could be slow, um, perhaps as slow as the Mars Warper, which is a few centimeters per second. But unlike unlike Mars Warper, you know, it should keep going down because stopping there uh, is not safe or energy saving anyway. So you keep going down. Uh, so it's gonna take uh, a week or two, maybe, uh, maybe maybe more time. Uh, you know, we don't know yet, but to uh, ultimately go through this um, 10 kilometer-ish thick ice shell. Uh, once you go there, you sample the water. And the, here's another trade. If we can miniaturize all the instruments so that we can put everything on this uh, small, you know, uh, robot that's, uh, small robot that's going down, we're going to do in-situ analysis. Otherwise, Perhaps some instruments like a mass spectrometer might not be able to fit within this robot going down the vent. Then maybe the robot has to go up again to deliver the sample to the lander. Or the tether has a small tube and shoot up the sample. Uh, there, there could be different ideas. Right. So, so like the, the rover won't have necessarily all of the instruments on board to be able to fully analyze the samples that it's, that it's taking. That's right. Accommodation, but, is right? But that would be—I mean—that would be the ideal is that it's able to sample at different depths as it continues down into the, into the into the vent, right? As opposed to necessarily grabbing one sample and then bringing it back up and and delivering it. But perhaps you could do multiple versions of that. So, so then I—I I sort of, in addition to all of the terrain challenges and the size of the vent challenge, I sort of see some other challenges. One being power. Uh, being ah. out at Saturn, solar is is off the table. So how do you anticipate being able to keep the whole thing powered in such a, an extreme environment? Yeah, that's another great question. Uh, solar could be an option, actually, because these days the solar cell is much improved than before. So... I mean, hypothetically, if we land on the summer in the southern hemisphere, uh, and if you place the lander on the top of the tiger stripe, maybe uh, you might be able to deploy a huge solar panel. But of course, that's going to be much more constrained than have, have many challenges, perhaps more straightforward way is RTG. Might be, but that's another trade that we are we are, we are working on right now. Have you considered using the the flow of the vent itself as a power? Oh, interesting question. Interesting yeah. question. Actually, yeah. Thanks for idea. I have to put your name on 
on oh, the paper. Sure. I yeah. guess. <laughs> well, it's funny. So like here in Canada, um, one of the options, like if you don't have power on your property, you can make a small hydro site. So you just, you take a little stream that's running through your property. You put a little top vent on it and then a pipe that goes down low. And then you have a, you know, an impeller inside of it and you're generating Oh, really? electricity That's for, your, for your house. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a bunch of these, these options. And so I wonder if, you know, if that, the pressure coming out of the, of the vent gets so strong that maybe you could use it as a, as a power source. So I think that depends on, again, you know, what the vent uh, would look like if it is at the right size, not too small for a robot, but you know, not too big so that the jet is weak. Yeah, that could be a great idea, actually. That All right. That one's for free. I'll mention your name to Nayak. Perfect. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, finally, that's the dream. Yes. Um, so, okay, so the power is one. Um, and then, of course, the communication, the time lag to be able to communicate with with Saturn is ridiculous. I mean, it is, you think talking to Mars is hard. Saturn is so much farther. Um, so I'm assuming this is where all the autonomy comes in. Yes and no, uh, it's not too ridiculous. I think just a few hours, right, from Saturn. I don't have top of my head. Yeah. And on Mars, we only communicate, we, you know, we do not communicate all the time. We only communicate, you know, a few times per day. So uh, delay, so it's not, uh, uh, yeah, yes, you know, you're right that, of course, we cannot joystick with a few hours delay. <clears throat> but beyond that, uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, it's it's more about uh, 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 the 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 level of unknowns because on Mars, uh, even though the data only comes few times per day and the operation cycle is you know once per so, but as I said, you know you can look ahead by orbital images or if you take a picture from the Mars rover, you can see easily see fifty meters, hundred meters uh, away from where you are, but in the vent. Can you see 50 meters ahead, 100 meters ahead? No, you cannot. Perhaps you can only see just a meter ahead of you, one yard ahead of you. So that's the fundamental difference, in my opinion. And, and actually, that sort of led on to my, my next question is just like the visibility. Like, like you've got very little light. You're now going down into one of these, these vents. It's going to be very, very dark. Uh -huh. You've got potentially the spray of water vapor and other particles all yeah. around you, what kind of visibility would you be able to get? Would it be like in a steam room or is it not as, you know, not as bad? Uh, I, I guess, great question, Fraser. Um, that's depend on the eruption mechanism. Um, we are, there are super roughly speaking, um, I mean, there, there could be countless possibilities, but they're roughly speaking two uh, very different possibilities. One is so-called boiling model. Basically, you know, imagine this boiling pot. That's it, right? You know, you have a smooth, nice uh, um, uh, surface from which the you know the vapor is going. So in that case, it's predominantly gas, or, or you know, uh, or ice particle coming out of it. Um, the the opposite possibility is what we call the cryovolcanic model. It's, it's basically a volcano because um, the, the, the ocean water 
we, we know that the Enceladus ocean uh, water contains gas. And as you move up, you know, um, the gas dissolved in the, in, in the liquid uh, uh, comes out as the gas inflates, and that gonna pushes the water up. You know, imagine, uh, uh, you know, you shake the Coke can and open it. It's basically it. So in such a case, yeah, it's a splashing Coke can basically. You know, the water and gas are mixed together and, and go up. Uh, so there's no clear water uh, 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 gas interface. In such a case, it's mixture of gas, liquid, and likely uh, solid as well uh, is going up. That could be a more difficult situation. So again, system, you know, what kind of perception system gonna gonna likely work most robustly? And uh, what I'm imagining is that uh, is a combination of uh, different sensing modalities. And you go there with multiple sensors, and then you're gonna decide which one is most reliable. I know that that the payload of the, the scientific instrument payload is always a very tricky challenge. Uh -huh. And, and I'm imagining the difficulty of packing sensors into a yes. snake or something very small. Um, what kinds of instruments would you love to be able to have on board the, mm. the rover as it's crawling down? There are uh, uh, obviously many kinds of uh, 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 sensors that uh, we want, you know, speaking about the life detection um, that, uh, you know, obviously, you know, one of our main goals, uh, there are chemical observations, there are, you know, uh, physical, you know, optical, you know, uh, as, as Carl Sagan famously said, the extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidences, right? So, you know, you have to collect a multitude of evidences uh, to, you know, so that your hypothesis of life is not shaped away from Occam's razor, right? So you need chemical evidences, which means, you know, detecting uh, uh, the organic molecules and perhaps uh, DNA or something, if it is life as we know, uh, uh, if it is a cell or even greater, you know, uh, thing, microscopic imaging uh, of, uh, of, you know, the, the thing that, that maybe life could be one. Um, so it's going to be a, a combination of many kinds of it. And by the way, JPO is working on an instrument called OWLS uh, that combines all these aspects and uses machine learning for, you know, uh, detecting this, you know, moving cells. So that, 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 that would be also exciting. How, how, like, I guess how bulky, how heavy, how power hungry... <laughs> Are these kinds Good question. Of we don't know yet. We are looking at a huge set of instruments right now. And, you know, yeah, again, we are uh, uh, in the middle of the trade study to understand, uh, you know, what can be accommodated to accommodate this set, you know, how big it is. Can we scale the robot to that extent? Uh, like that. You know, the, the difficulty of challenge of this trade study is everything is coupled, right? Um, from the payload to you know the the, the launch vehicle, so um, yeah, um, we'll see. In a, yeah, in a yeah. nine months from now, you're gonna have a, a much better you know. So yeah, you can ask me again. But, right, right, right. But I guess it's sort of like this, this challenge. I mean, if you could have a, a microscope on the rover, if you could have a 
uh, some way of sensing some tiny, teeny, tiny mass spectrometer, as you say, this, this, was it owl? Is that the name of the owls? Yeah. Ocean yeah. world. Right. It's, I, I think I've, I've learned about this, right? It's just like a generic life detection. Exactly. System sweet. Oh, sweet. Yeah. That could yeah. be applied. But, but of course, if you do have the lander sitting there, then if you are able to bring samples back up, then you can deliver them to the to the lander. Exactly. It can, it can it can crunch them and and figure out what's what's going on and and I guess that's again the the challenge. So is, I mean, it was Europa that sort of brought this idea in the beginning that that you could have these vents that are a way to access this this underwater ocean. Places like Titan are are maybe even more fascinating and also at Saturn where you've got this hydrocarbon atmosphere, you've got methane lakes, you've got ice surface and then a subsurface ocean. Do you think if do, do, do Europa or Titan make more compelling places to go than Enceladus or would, would Enceladus still be your, your top choice based on what you know right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, of course, I'm not a scientist, so I cannot say uh, with confidence. But yeah, personally, you know, all of these places have different possibilities and, you know, uh, potentials, right, for finding life. Well, the reason that uh, we are focusing on NSLs, at least for now, is because the gate is open. We know that the gate is open. On Titan, maybe there are, you know, there are, there are some... Uh, 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 observations suggesting that there are going to be a plume on, on Europa, but that's not directly observed. As opposed to Enceladus, we know that this jet is there, which means that there is a pathway open for us to get to this ocean, right? So uh, it's, it's more about engineering challenges. How do you go through this uh, super thick ice shell to get down there? And and still, there seems to be, at least as far as we know, the you know a uh, 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 closest uh, uh, body to get into this uh, 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 subsurface ocean. Gate is open. Right, That's right. the key. Right. So as so, if a similar system is found on on Europa, or if something similar is found on Titan, then then options definitely expand. Of course, and I'm yeah. gonna be super excited. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's really interesting that that the the thinking seems to be at this point that these icy worlds are across the solar system. That uh -huh. that that not just Europa and Enceladus, but maybe Pluto, maybe um, you know some of the asteroids, some of yeah. the objects. Yeah, like, who knows what's what's out there? Like, and. And the problem is, is that it's locked behind this this icy shell, and so it's a really tricky place. Life could be everywhere; we just can't see it because it's so hard to get at. Even Mars, you know, uh, there's this a uh, uh, polar ice caps that has, uh, you know, that draws oh, substantial yeah, interest yeah. from scientists. Uh, 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 not about. Uh, I don't know about you know the extant life question. Uh, if that's a good place, but may maybe no, no one knows, right? Yeah. It's it's interesting. So once that once this technology can be figured out, I mean, the polar ice caps on Mars they actually sound like an ideal place to test out a lot of this this technology. I mean, you're probably yeah. not going to find find geysers necessarily, but you're going to have a very similar environment to explore and, and study. Uh -huh. I mean, it's 
it it feels like it's funny like like we've gone from this time of orbit or flybys and then we've moved to orbiters and then we've gone to landers and then we've gone to rovers and they're still all very generic ideas but the next step i guess is starting to come up with platforms to handle these very complicated environments that are also the most interesting that you know when you've got a a lander sitting in the in the sand and all it can do is shovel around itself a meter and dig down half a meter there's only so much you're going to be able to find but once you can crawl around and move around and get down into it it i think it really changes changes everything so it feels like yeah so yeah that's a great way of viewing it how we evolved our ability and, and, and technology wise you know the history of going from flyby all the way to roving and drilling and getting some service that's about you know a, 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 a dealing with a, a more direct contact with the body that we are we are sitting right you know in flyby or, or orbiter the only interaction with the body is gravity and it's well known. It's very smooth. Therefore, it's, it's the easiest. Once you land on it, you're going to be in direct contact with the surface, which is highly unknown. So that, that's another level. If you drive on it, you're going to encounter more unknown. So that's one level up. And if you drill on it, that's even another level up, right? Because you have a, a, a deep interaction with this physical physical interaction with uh, the rock, and you know you saw that uh, you know we uh, fa- unexpectedly failed the first attempt of the drilling on Mars, and that exemplified how hard it is to you know in terms of the technology to to interact with unknown physically interact with unknowns, and now. We are trying to bring it to, to yet, you know, another level, which is going subsurface. So you have to have, you know, the physical physical interaction with the body in, you know, in many ways. But that's the way that we we have been advancing our technologies over decades, and that's the key. That you know, as you enable more interactions, physical interaction with the body, that directly means more direct observations for science, right? Yeah, so, so that's where the technology is going forward. And that, that's how technology is helping uh, the science to know more about the bodies. Well, I mean, one of the of the most innovative groups working on this kind of thing is is JAXA with the like with the Hayabusa mission and oh, yeah, and the upcoming um, mission to Phobos. Yes, got just this attachment of a whole bunch of just little rovers. Uh, Hayabusa 2 had a, a German rover as well as it had a tank shell that it fired at the at the at the asteroid and with with the Phobos mission they're going to be sending ideally some rover that's going to be able to go around the surface. Uh-huh. Do you and seeing what's happened with ingenuity being attached to perseverance do you see a larger role for these these additional smaller rovers flyers crawlers snakes to 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 come along with the with the mission yeah absolutely and by the way you know i am originally from japan Mm -hmm. so uh i have a lot of friends working on hayabusa and uh 
in Mar, and you know, uh, uh, I am very excited, uh, you know, uh, 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 and yeah, I've, and and obviously, you know, this uh, samples coming back from the asteroid is uh, is and the formal sample is super exciting. Uh, speaking about this, you know, uh, some payload, yeah, I mean that's that's important for many ways, right? Uh, 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 one is oh, for for one thing. It supports multiple modalities of observation. You know, take the example of the Mars rover and Haley. And as I said, Haley is a great vehicle for scouting, right? Uh, you know, or, and perhaps uh, uh, you know, in the future, it can do the science on its own. You know, different viewpoints. That's one thing. For technology-wise, uh, uh, you know, um, 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 the sub payloads because it's. Uh, uh, you can take more risk. You can test more advanced technologies. Uh, I, let me give you an example. Um, the 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 perseverance as main CPU is still RAT seven fifty, which is basically in a PowerPC seven fifty in nineteen ninety six or something. Very slow. Uh, but helicopter actually has better computer, which is uh, Qualcomm Snapdragon. Uh, the reason is that you know heli. Uh, uh, is a, is a small class mission, so it can take more risk than the, the rover. Uh, so with that, you know, you can test new technologies uh, on Mars uh, that could potentially be, you know, used for the, you know, the, the class A mission in the, in the future. So, so for advancing technologies, these, you know, uh, 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 sub-payload companion uh, uh, vehicles would be highly useful, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. It, it... It really feels like like that was one of the innovations. I mean, I I really enjoy the the JAXA missions just in in general for the ingenuity and the willingness to 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 tr experiment and try stuff that could be fairly risky. Like I find on the on the the spectrum, NASA is tries to be very safe, and JAXA is willing to take some very big <laughs> risks. And sometimes it doesn't pay off. I mean, we saw what happened with Hayabusa one, but right. but but Hayabusa two has been an incredible success. And 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 I love the I love the ambition of of the sub payloads, and it's and and I think NASA is now really starting to experience that with ingenuity attached to perseverance. That this right. that these sub payloads because you can communicate with the main spacecraft you've got a lot more flexibility in what these subcraft can be and at the same time all the miniaturization and technology is is unlocking this entirely new new field and and so it feels to me like like there'll be a lot more of this coming in the future uh, yeah i guess you know my japanese friends at JAXA are gonna be happy to hear that but you know i, I think what's what, what i like about JAXA, particularly ISAS, which is a branch of JAXA, which is doing, uh, you know, uh, scientific exploration, they they have a strong sense of rivalry against JPL NASA, but which is a healthy thing, right? You know, of course, we, we, we do collaborate in, in many aspects, but, you know, they are not satisfied by a subscale model of NASA. You know, they, they are still, you know, are uh, 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 aggressive in good good sense. They they always you know looking for opportunity to beat NASA, right? But you know seriously, but you know this kind of a I think this is a healthy rivalry, right? Because you know 
in in the end, you know, if you know JAXA, you know, uh, uh, made a first, you know, the 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 uh, 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 asteroid sample return is one example, and you know, and, and we made a lot of discoveries out of it, and that the discoveries in science gonna be a you know, shared. Uh, you know, uh, a thing among humanity, right? Not about JAXA and NASA. So, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I think I mean, they are doing a great job. Yeah, same with, same with all of them. Um, so then, like right now, this is, was it a phase one award or are you in the phase two? I forget which. We're in phase two. You're in yes. phase two. Okay, so so what does, what will phase two, like what is the deliverable at the end of this phase of the study? What are you hoping to deliver into the hands of, of NIAC when you're done? So in the end, we are delivering the roadmap, the technology roadmap. So, you know, after all of these trade studies and analysis about the vendor environment, uh, uh, what we need to invest in terms of technology and science maybe uh, um, to, to make this mission come true, uh, perhaps within, uh, you know, a few decades, um, so, so that roadmap is going to be our, you know, a final, final product. But of course, we're going to deliver our result of the system trade study. So you will see a few, you know, uh, point designs, uh, depending on, you know, the, the, the possibilities of the event. Um, maybe it's Eagle's robot, maybe it's a lint robot, maybe it's, a, you know, hanging from the top. Uh, uh, and uh, some uh, model a suite of instruments. So you will see more and more details uh, towards the end. And based on your understanding right now, I mean, Saturn is so far away. Like any mission, you've first got to imagine it's going to take you five years to just get there. Maybe faster if you go on something bigger, but it's a I don't view Saturn as far away because, you know, compared to the scale of the universe, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, 10 billion light years about the extent. Saturn is just a backyard, right? Okay, all right, all right. You're patient. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is this, human civilization has just started, right? You know, I don't know, just 10,000 years ago, and we are so immature yet. Yeah. So we started from, you know, our backyard and we are still in, in, in a backyard. And, you know, uh, we hope that, uh, you know, that life exists uh, somewhere nearby like Saturn, but we don't know. And this venture going to, you know, continue surely, you know, uh, uh, much beyond my lifetime, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it may take thousands or, you know, tens of thousands of years, you know, beyond this point. And it's a you know, long, long journey, you know, we're going to surely complete the exploration of the solar system, then, you know, go beyond. So, you know, yeah, but, but nonetheless, if, it's a big if, but if, you know, uh, uh, um, maybe, you know, it's Mars 2020, maybe it's EOS, if this happens, uh, you're gonna find the first evidence of the extraterrestrial life form. That discovery is gonna forever stick to the history, right, of science, you know, no matter what, because it's basically Darwin or Newton moment, right? So I am so excited that, you know, uh, uh, it might happen, in the next few decades, maybe in my lifetime, and I, you know, I am, I, I am even more excited that there's a chance that I, I might be, you know, a, a, a small part of that, uh, you know, huge discovery of humanity, right? That gonna forever be remembered.
Yeah. Um, so then, like, let's say that you, you finish the Phase 2 Nyak Award. You then are awarded a Phase 3, maybe. Uh, or, well, um, we don't know. No one knows. Who knows? Who knows? Um, and then this turn then and then maybe it turns into a you know um one of the the next level programs maybe one of the smaller ones or maybe a, a larger one what what do you think is kind of a realistic timeline that that you could you could like launch by arrive at and how long would you want to do your primary mission it's hard to say. It's it's really hard to say. Realistically, you know, it's also influenced by, you know, uh, community's interest, NASA's budget, EPCDC. So, but technically, technology-wise, uh, of course, you know that, that that's something that we're not saying in the roadmap. We believe we can make this uh, technology ready uh, by the end of twenty thirties, even earlier. Uh, that's also that's not so bad. That's you know, that's like a little after maybe Dragonfly arrived. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But of course, you know, it's it, it's up to, you know, uh, uh, if we want to fund uh this program or not, because there are many other interesting things uh in the solar system and beyond. Um yeah, and you know, budget is limited, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, if people want to keep track of the of the program and and what you're working on, uh, where where should they go? So, there's a Nyack webpage of this task. Uh, 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 Google Enceladus Vent Explorer, uh, um, and there will be more updates from the other companion task, uh, which is called Eels E E L S. Uh, I think if you Google EELS NASA or EELS JPL, there will be an excellent uh, uh, um, presentation uh, on YouTube by our PI, Kaylin Carpenter, who is also a member of this uh, NIAC task. So you can, and as we move on, I think we're going to have uh, more news from, uh, from from both tasks. So please stay tuned. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, Hiro, thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with me today. I'm It's very exciting. I'm definitely uh, rooting for for you to to eventually see this fly in our lifetime and i mean it's like there's probably no more exciting place in the entire solar system to look for life i mean there's water there's hydrogen gas there's energy it's all there we just need to somehow stick a, a robot a little robot crawl down and and see what it can find and hopefully we can get that confirmation of, of what, as you say, a Newton moment. It's an, it's an Einstein moment. It's like possibly one of the most important discoveries in the history of humanity that we're, that there is, there is life somewhere other than earth. And it would be, amazing. I fully agree with yeah. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, again, hopefully we're going to make it happen. <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. Let me know. See. Let me know when you, when you find it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, thanks and so much for your research. Take care. Thank you very much. Peter. Bye. Thanks. Bye.